Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. Well, today we're talking about a good return, a good return. Now, what is a good return? Normally when we hear that, we're thinking, well, I made an investment. And when I made that investment, I, I put a certain amount of money into that investment or something into that. And then the return was even greater than what I put in. So it was a good return. Now, last week we looked at, uh, we, we talked about reset, importance of, of having a, a reset in our life. That God does a supernatural thing in us, gives us a reset, kind of a restart. And there's so many areas of our life we see where we need that. And today we're looking at the word return. And the word return in the Hebrew means simply to bring back, to put back, to relinquish, to give back, to restore, or to give in payment. And I think I want to start off a little bit on what we could call the negative side this morning. And I'm going to talk, before I get to the good return, I want to talk about a bad return. And uh, a bad return is where you lose. And... For the believer, it's where you've been a follower of Christ, you've known His goodness and blessing, and you return or go back to your old life. It's a bad return. Now, let's start by going to a rather gross example in the book of Proverbs. And remember, Proverbs was written by Solomon, who was the wisest man on earth. God gave him great wisdom. And he oftentimes in his writing used different uh, uh, he used different ways of expressing that, uh, different uh, ways of using the, what we call the English language now uh, as we interpret it. But he used idioms, uh, he used similes, he used different things. And, and, and sometimes in his Proverbs, it's just simply a, a comparison. And he compares the natural with, uh, with the spiritual. He'll make a comparison between a natural thing and a moral principle. And usually the words as or like is used. That this is like this. And as this is, so is this. And he used that as, as a powerful teaching method. Now, here's that, here's that gross verse. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11. I don't know that I've ever, ever used this verse in a sermon before. And I certainly didn't start off using it at the very beginning. So are you ready for it? Here we go. Proverbs 26. 11, as a dog returns to its vomit, everybody okay so far? <laughs> as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness, his folly, returns. The message paraphrase says he recycles silliness. Now, here Solomon paints a repulsive, sickening picture. And most of us have seen this, that a dog kind of gets upset or sick and throws up. And then that precious little pet of ours runs over and laps up the vomit again. Ew! You know, all right. So, how disgusting is that? Well, actually, that's one of, uh, that's one of Solomon's purposes there is to show us how disgusting that is. And, uh, hey, by the way, in this, and I don't know where Deb's dog is outside in the parking lot or not today. Oh, she is already? Okay. She's working on that. But, um, and, and people know that she is a, she is a, a, a 
pet lover, dog lover, has been, I guess, her whole life. Most of you, if not many of you are, you have, you know, they're almost like part of the family. And I, that's okay. I, I'm, I, that's okay. I'm just not built that way. <laughs> I like animals. You know, I, I, pets are good. That's fine. I, I, probably part of it's going back to, we say in the South, going back to my raising. Uh, we had no pets on the inside. We raised on the farm, and they were on the outside. Cats were out the barn taking care of the mice and the rats and stuff. They had a practical purpose. The dogs would be hunting dogs or something, you know, and out in the yard, yard dogs. Now, some of you, your pets are, are you know, you enjoy them. They're part of, you know, they sleep with you or sit on the, you know, recliner with you or whatever. And that's totally up to you. That's fine. Uh, just don't say that'll ever, probably ever happen to me. But uh, that's fine. People are different. And aren't you glad people are different? Yes, amen. Well, when I look at this, it's interesting, you know, that the dog is not the creator's best friend. Well, we say it's man's best friend, but the dog is not the creator's best friend. Now, we're his best friend, but, but it's not. For instance, the scripture mentions dogs some 40 times without one positive comment. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I'm feeling really good about this. I was kind of feeling bad about it for a while, but I feel, God, I'm with you on this, okay? <laughs> because when you look into the word, dogs are used to represent wicked men and devils and greed and noise and viciousness. Dogs and pigs were used as bywords. I mean, the, the Jews called, the, uh, called the, the, the Samaritans dogs. And this was a, a really demeaning to them. Now, this proverb is also seen over in the New Testament. So let's go over to 2 Peter chapter 2 and look at verses 20 through 22. And we'll get a little bit more of why that was put in there to begin with. In the Bible, begin with. So here we go. Verse 20. For if after they have escaped, it's talking about, now this follows up scripture, get in the context of false prophets, those have gone away from the truth or departed from the truth, and, um, and in those that are being misled from the truth and led away from the truth, led away from God. So this is kind of the context of everything. And it says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them, that's entangled in the pollutions of the world, Entangled in them and overcome, it says the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. If you noticed in life, it's kind of that way. Sometimes, you know, you get really to a place, and then when you go back, you go back further than you've ever been before. Let me give you an example of that. It's a very appropriate during a day of fasting, and as you're seeing these pounds just fall off of me over the next two or three weeks. You know, see, that... I have loved, as many of you can identify with this, I really didn't see myself as overweight. Don't think I was till I was in my 40s. And then it was only maybe a little later in my 40s. And so growing up, I never thought about being overweight. It was a non-issue to me. Well, you know, probably around 9 or 10, I hit that little pudgy stage. You understand that, but that doesn't count. But... Then, since that time, it's been a roller coaster. And I, I, 
I think I possibly have lost hundreds of pounds, if not thousands of pounds over the last 20 years. <laughs> and here's what I said. Here's what I said the last couple of times that I was going in the right direction and, and weight was falling off. I said, Lord, I'm going to stick to it this time. This is important. I need to do this. And, um, and I get thinking, Lord, if, if, if I don't stick to this and make it this time, I don't know that I'll have the determination to get up and try it again because it gets a little bit harder every time. And it does. It does. Now, I built, just because most of the times we get together, we've got great food to eat and some of the greatest cooks in this congregation and, and, you know, we feed one another well with food, you know, we can't blame it on that. We have a decision to make of what we will partake and what we will not partake of. I think that we see though, and this is what's happened to me over the years in that little simple example, is that you get to a certain weight level and then with determination commitment, you make changes and you begin to lose weight. And you get to a certain place, you begin feeling really better and feeling really good about it, and then you back off. And you just kind of don't think about it as much. And you say, okay, you know, I'm doing good. It won't hurt to eat more this way. It won't hurt to eat this big meal. You know, I can have, I can have a milkshake. I can have hamburger and fries. I can have, you know, I, it won't hurt. It won't hurt. But very gradually, it finds its way back in until we're entangled in it. And here's what happens as you move back into that and the pounds come on. By the way, they, they come on easier than they go off. And as, as, they, as they come on you, then what you find is, is each time you're high, you know, high you're, each time your weight is more than it was the previous time. The height of your weight, the, the extent of your weight, if you weighed, say, 250, 100, lose weight, come back, you're probably going to go to 260. Uh, you hear what I'm saying? Is it usually is worse each time. And this is kind of what this verse is saying when he says, look, if you've, not, if, you've, if you've escaped this way of life and you have the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then you find yourself getting entangled in those things again and overcome by them, then it will be worse than it was before because you'll be harder, more, you'll be, be harder in your, in your being receptive to him more, I, I think our heart gets harder. We were more resistant to him. We get discouraged because we say, I've tried over and over again. I didn't make it. So each time it seems like you go a little further away. And this is an important lesson that the scripture is teaching today. Now, uh, he says, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, than to return from the holy commandments delivered to them but it has happened to them according to the true proverb a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow or or hog having washed goes back to wallow in the mire or the mud now these verses give insight into Christians who fall back into sin and fall away from the place where they were in their relationship with the Lord now I understand this particular little place is controversial. I'm, I'm not a stranger to controversy. And I don't run from controversy. And I don't mind. It's okay when people disagree with some of these things. Uh, as, as, you know, there are certain essentials in the faith that we must believe in in order to, to, to follow the Lord, to be a born-again believer. But 
what it really boils down to is the understanding of certain words here in this particular passage. And what it's really showing us here is that whatever light, whatever revelation, whatever word is given to us, we then become responsible for it and accountable as to whether we receive it or reject it. And when you receive it or let it in, more light and more revelation comes. We've talked about this before. But when you begin to shut it out, shut out the word, shut out the light that God gives and resist his word, actually you don't just stand still. You become, uh, I think you become harder and you begin to actually drift away. We don't really stand still in our faith. And so we're responsible for the light that's given us. Receive light, get more light. Reject or turn away, then we go to greater darkness. The words in these verses in 2 Peter are extremely important. First of all, look at the word escaped. They've escaped the pollutions of the world. The pollutions of the world is simply wickedness and sin. It says they've escaped. They're out of it. And how did they escape it? It says they escaped it by the knowledge of of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What does that mean? There's one school of thought that says they have the knowledge of the Lord, but they really didn't know him. And that's a difficult point to argue with because when people go back and they, they give their hearts to the Lord, we think, you know, it, it, it appears that they do. They make that confession. And then they go back to their old life and reject that and, and we call it backsliding and say, oh yeah, they haven't lost their salvation. They just kind of lost the joy of their salvation. They lost fellowship with the Lord, but they're still in a relationship with the Lord. And there's one school of thought that goes that way. And God's grace is tremendous. He doesn't give up on us. When we fail or mess up, go back, he doesn't give up on us. So some people say, well, this verse is talking to people that, that had a certain amount of knowledge. They'd heard about Jesus Christ, but they really didn't personally know him. The other side of that is that it's really talking about those who seriously, purposely, sincerely received Jesus, came to know him as their personal Savior, and then began to turn away from that and became entangled in it and were eventually overcome in it till actually they were worse off than they were before. Two different ways that people normally look at this. Who say, well, pastor, how, how do you see this? How do you understand it? Let me see if I can clarify it this way because this is, this is a theological question that people have dealt with for hundreds of years and, and still there's different opinions about it. Because you come down to the point and say, well, if a person really knows Jesus Christ their Savior, if they really do, they'll never turn back. Well, that's a difficult that's, a, that's difficult to argue with because all you can say, well, they went back so they must. They just never really knew him as their Lord and Savior. So that's one of the, they just really never knew. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. Only the Lord really knows how genuine this was and how real it was. But I do believe if you follow through the entire scripture all the way through, in my conviction, the way I believe 
is that even after coming to know Jesus Christ personally, and if you follow through the word knowledge in other references in the Old Testament, in Ephesians, Colossians, and 1 Timothy, every time it uses the word knowledge, it's talking about personal knowledge or faith in Christ. So I don't know why it would be used different in this context here. So I believe this is actually talking about people who have come to Christ, they've received Christ as Savior, their life has been changed, but they have gone away from that. They have backslidden, they've allowed sin back into their life till finally, continue, you know, and while this, let's, let, me, let, me, let me remind us, us all that if we begin doing this, the Holy Spirit's faithful and he is convicting and he's saying, you don't need to do that. We're sensing conviction. We know we don't need to be doing this. This is not right. We know it. You know what that is? That's the loving arm of God reaching out and saying, come on, this is hurting. This is going to hurt you. Come on back. That's just wonderful grace. But you never sacrifice your free will. The same free will that chose him as Savior is the free will you maintain that you keep that can say, I no longer will follow him. And you can keep moving in that way till you become entangled in it and even go further than ever before as far as your life, your lifestyle, your, actually your relationship with him. It's sad, but I believe it's possible. People ask the question simply, can, do you believe a person can lose their salvation? And uh, that's, that's, that's one of those little questions that just ignites all kinds of feelings and emotions. And I don't really like to get tied up in that with people. If a person believes that once you're saved, you're always saved, no matter what you're doing, that, I'm, that's, that's fine. That, that's fine. I do believe that if a person gets genuinely saved, it is very, very difficult for them to ever come to a place where they continue to backslide and continue to move away from God till their heart becomes so hard that they won't return. I think that's a very rare thing. But I do believe it's possible. I do believe that it's possible. And that's not what I'm teaching on today, but we could go to several examples in that. People say, well, if you believe that, then salvation is about, uh, is about works and not about grace. God's grace is great enough that when he saves you, then he saves you forever. It's a done deal. No matter, rob a bank, kill someone, do whatever you do, uh, you're going to pay for it. You may go to jail. You may get killed. You may something. But let me tell you, you're still going to make it through the gates of heaven because it's not by your own works. It's by grace. I believe as much as anyone else that it's by grace. But I believe it's not just grace that saves you. It's grace that you must allow to work in your life to keep you in the life that God's called you to. His grace is enough to keep you. His grace is enough to help you live the way he called you to live. But you still, I think I say you, anyone who chooses to reject that can continue to walk away from that until they're in a worse condition than before. And I think the devil uses the other side of this argument or belief. Sometimes uh, I think he uses it and people just begin to look at grace as being cheap grace. Oh, you know, everybody sins. Everybody sins. So it kind of lightens the seriousness of sin. Well, you know, God knows that. So his grace, he knows we're just sinners. So he gives us an allotment of sins every day, you know. It's just going to happen. What a careless, ridiculous way to look at the Christian life. He's called us to live a godly life. A go yeah, we'll mess up. And if sins come, then we repent. We're forgiven. But if you continue 
to purposely reject his word and choose to go back into, uh, back into what does it say? Uh, from the pollutions of the world, you go back into that way of life, then I believe you can lose that relationship you have with the Lord. Now, I know there's all kind of other arguments. Well, once you're a person, once you, know, you become a son or child of God when you're saved and once you're, you know, once you're a son or child of the Father, then you're always going to be the son or child regardless of what they do. I understand that argument's used, but I, I, don't, I don't think that that holds true when you look at the whole picture of here's what we have to understand as believers. And, and it's, it's something we continue to learn. It's not something that any of us are experts in. We have to learn the role and the extent of grace, the grace of God, and learn the role and the responsibility of you and me as believers. And they're married together. You don't separate one from the other. And I've just said something which is extremely, as Andrew Womack would say, extremely profound. <laughs> this, is, this is just what it's all about. Now, there's no reason for a person once they come to know Christ as Savior, there's no reason for them to ever walk away. There's no reason for them to ever give up. There's no reason for them to go back that way of life. But sometimes it happens. And you see, this scripture, this repulsive proverb, these scriptures in 2 Peter, one of the things they're doing is saying, this is a bad way to go. This is a bad return. This is going to end up being bad for you. What it's really doing, it points at the repulsiveness and, the, and the, the awfulness of sin. Because when we think about a dog vomiting, going back, we think, oh, that's awful. Let me tell you, that's what sin is. It's awful. It seems to be pleasant, enticing, but it's not that at all. It can entangle us and take us away. Well, just because you know information exposed to the truth doesn't mean you're born again. That's true. But when you really believe on the word, God does something supernatural in you, and I think it is very, very difficult for you to ever, ever fall away from that because I think God's grace is going to work mightily in you to, to bring you back and to, to speak the truth to you so that there's repentance. So this is to all of us so that we repent and turn away. This is very important. And we ask the question sometimes when people, and I've seen it. Look, this, I've been in this, I've been in the ministry 50 years, so I've been a Christian longer than that. So I've seen a lot of stuff, good stuff and bad stuff. And how many times I've seen people that get serious about their faith. Some of them have a tremendous experience as they come forward to pray, and their life just transformed. I mean, everything is different. And some of them, they grew, and this is where our role as believers is concerned, once people come to know the Lord, they need people to surround them and help them grow. They need the Word of God to help them grow, to get them, to get them stronger, get them stronger. They're changed, but we need to renew our mind, and we, and we need to develop that faith in us. But how sad. So there's some, a few occasions along that way where I've seen someone who had a serious, I believe a serious, firm, real commitment to follow Christ. A few of them. I even know that followed the Lord and gave their heart to the Lord and began ministering and even pastor churches. And proclaim the gospel. And yet, whatever, something happens. I don't know what brought it about. Because what, what really causes, what makes a person want to give up and turn away from 
the best thing in life from eternity with him, from the love of God. Why in the world would anybody want to turn away from that? But I believe, I've seen examples of it over and over and over again. Some of them wonderfully, marvelously repented and were restored. Some of them, as far as I know, never did. Things were just worse than ever before for them. It's sad. Why would anybody want to go back? And I think of Israel. Israel had been delivered, set free from all these years of slavery, being beaten, being starved. They witnessed miracles there as they walked out from that slavery with Moses leading them. They left with an abundance as they took bounty even from those that enslaved them. And when they were about a month into their trip, listen to this. Exodus 14, 12. The Israelite says, Didn't we tell you in Egypt, they're blaming Moses, didn't we tell you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. How quickly they forgot the awfulness of sin and slavery. Numbers chapter 14, verse 4 says, and they said to each other, they get together, you know, that's what people do. They get together and they start talking about the problems, what they do, and they choose another leader. So it says, they said to each other, we should choose or appoint another leader and get this, Return to Egypt. Go back. After freedom, after miracles, after seeing the hand of God for them, they got discouraged, they got troubled, they got in fear. Things were not like they thought they would be. And they decided, let's just go back. Let's just go back. So that, why do people go back? Sometimes I think it's because they just never really had a strong commitment to begin with. They're shallow. They just kind of come to the Lord. It's more emotional than it is spiritual. And sometimes some little things come along and gets hard. I came a Christian and now this has happened to me and I don't think that's fair. And I don't know why God is doing this. And people have mistreated me. And they just use that junk, that ridiculous stuff. They use that to turn away and to begin to draw away in their own faith and commitment to the Lord. How 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 disappointing that is, how, how harmful that can be. They get discouraged, they get offended, they get tempted. They said, oh, there's some things I used to do. I, you know, I really, you know, that's pretty good. I think I'll go back. I think I'll go back. It's a bad return, folks. Anytime we turn from God's very best, it is a bad return. Anytime we choose anything other than God's very best, it is a bad return. Anytime we choose anything that's less than God's very best, it is a bad return. Yes, amen. So let's talk about a good return here just the next couple minutes. A good return. Well, naturally, if a bad return is going away from God, a good return is going to be returning to God. Now, in order to return somewhere, you had to have been there before, right? If I'm standing here and I walk over here, then in order to return, I have to go back here. So the definition of return is to go back where you came from or go back to where you are. Now, in one sense of the word, salvation, return to God is not like that. Because when you become a Christian, The Bible tells us that when you come to Christ, behold, 
You are a new creation. All things have passed away. Everything, all things are new. So when you were transformed and came to Christ, you came from darkness and sin and that old life, you came into something that was brand new where you had never been before. But let's take it a step further when we think about salvation. Salvation is, uh, is, is about more than forgiveness of sins. Everybody thankful that we're, we're forgiven sins when you get saved? Yes. Uh, salvation is more than well, now I have a home in heaven and I don't have to go to hell. Everybody thankful for that. You, you have a home in heaven, you don't have to go to hell. Yes. I mean, those two things are big. But salvation is so much more than that. Because in the beginning, when God created man, he had an eternal plan and destiny for him. And we see it in Genesis and in Adam and Eve. And he desired for man to live in perfect fellowship with him and that man would take dominion in the earth and rule under the authority of God and God would bless everything in their lives. That was God's ultimate plan. That family, family of God, worshiping. Family of God, taking dominion in the place where God put them. That family of God, one with him. That was his perfect plan, his perfect design. But when man sinned, man gave that up and sacrificed it completely. So in that sense, when you and I became Christians, when you came to Christ as your Savior, what happened was, yes, you had a brand new life. Jesus Christ lives in your heart. And by the way, the kingdom of God lives in your heart. You now are, are part of the kingdom of God. And what happens is he changes you and you return as you grow in him, as you allow him to work in your life, as you walk out kingdom living, he's bringing you back, returning you to his original destiny and call. Salvation is bringing us back and restoring us to where God wanted us to be and intended us to be. So it's a wonderful return on that, reclaiming and returning to God's original plan to establish his kingdom in us and through us. When we think about going away, when we think about going away, oftentimes we go to the New Testament, we, we think about, and this is a bad return also, we think about in Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. Everybody here probably is familiar with the prodigal son. And you know the story. I mean, Charles Dickens uh, said that the, the parable, this parable here was the finest short story ever written. Well, that's true, but it's far more than a short story. And we all know the story of the son who left his father and went away into sin and then came back to him. He returned. Uh, he was a young man, selfish, arrogant, dishonored his father, had a give me, give me, what are you going to do for me? What's my part? I want it now type of attitude. And here's what happened as he went down and away. First of all, he became restless. There was a restlessness that there's something, there's, I'm not satisfied where I am. There was the enticing draw of things he'd heard about. Things, you know, look, if I leave where I am now, it's going to be so much better. So there was a restlessness that was there. He felt like he was missing out on something. There was a restlessness. Then there was a recklessness, a recklessness where he got with the wrong crowd and wrong kind of living. And then there was the ruin where he was there eating with pigs. 
But then a good return is this. First, he realized, the Bible says he came to his senses. He, he, he's now in humility. And he left. You know, the fact is that he left strutting and he came back bowing. He returned bowing. He realized he needed a change. He needed to return. Secondly, he repented and he did it. He turned away and returned. And thirdly, he did finally complete that return to his father. He says, I will go back. And the wonderful ending of the story, part, one of the major parts of the ending of the story is, is that the father was watching for his return and the father took off after him running for his son. That's the heart of God. When we're away from him or when we've allowed things to separate, the heart of God is always reaching out to you, always reaching out to us. He's very quick to respond to us when we turn back to him, when we repent, when we call on him. Too often the truth is that he wants that friendship and that fellowship with us more than most of us really want to have it with him. And also the Bible, I think, teaches us that there's a good return on investments, kingdom investments. We have the story of the parable of talents. You remember it in Matthew chapter 25 where he went to where the owner, if you will, the master I went to his servants, those who had certain areas of responsibility, and he gave one five talents, one two, one, and, and to the other one, one or five bags of silver, two bags of silver, one bag of silver, depending on what translation you read. And the, the important thing wasn't that they were given different amounts. The important thing, what did they do with what they were given? And the first two were very diligent, and they invested theirs, and they got a good return. And the Bible's quite clear in this story that God is for good returns. That he, he wants to teach us the principle that if you will invest in the kingdom, if you will invest in doing my will, if you'll, make that, if you'll invest your life in this, I guarantee you it's going to multiply back to you. That's really what the scripture teaches. Malachi chapter 3, when we go back to the Old Testament, says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my house and try me or test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a great blessing until there is no more room to receive it. My friends, that's a great return. Man, if we believed that, we'd run all over each other trying to give if we really believe that strongly about it. And it's not, this is not primarily, this is not really primarily about money, but money is an aspect of it. Here, I think it has to do with goods and money in this verse. But when you look in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, it's talking about sowing and reaping. It says, don't be deceived or misled. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, he invested, that will he also reap. But you know the truth of sowing and reaping is, is that when you sow, you always reap, and uh, it's always multiplied back to you. You sow a seed, it comes back to you in fruit, which each one of them contains many seed. So sowing always produces an abundance, if you will, if it produces a good return. Verse 8, for he who sows to the flesh only to satisfy his own sinful nature will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit who lives to please the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And don't grow weary while you're doing good, for in due season we shall reap with a good return if you do not faint or lose heart or give up. God wants us to learn to invest our lives, invest our, our goods, invest ourselves into other people's lives, and there will be a good return. Luke 6, 38 tells us this where it says, Give... 
Every, that's, what, that's the first word of the verse. Everybody say that with me. Give. I actually, we could say there is a word, there is a word that's in parenthesis understood before that. You know what word that is? You. And this is, and this is what God is saying to you and to me. He says, you give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. We put into your bosom or pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be poured out into your life, into your lap. That's the way it will be measured back to you. You invest in your marriage. You really invest in your marriage the right way. You invest time. Invest in caring and serving one another and everything. If you invest in your marriage, it'll multiply back into your marriage. If you invest in your children the right way, it'll be a good return. Proverbs is full of scriptures of, where, of, what, a, of what a son or, or, or daughter who brings shame to their father and then a son or daughter that brings honor and blessings into their life. It's important that we sow in the right way in these areas so that it produces a good return in our lives. It says, for with what measure, the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. You'll get a good return. The message says, give away your life. You'll find life given back to you, but not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way generosity begets generosity. My, there's, there's such power in giving. No, no wonder the devil hates, no wonder it hates for people to get generous. Not, I'm just, not just generous in the money or giving or tithes or offering. Not that, that's, not, that's one thing. But when people become generous with one another, generous in their serving one another, willing to lay down their lives, generous in their family, investing their lives into this, my, God will produce great things out of that. There will be a harvest that comes. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now the Bible talks about other returns. It says God's word will not return to him void, accomplish the purpose he wants to accomplish. And listen, the truth is that God's word will produce a return in your life. If you and I will get the word in our life, the truth in our life, build up the faith in us, that word will begin to work within us, build up things in, in us, in our spirit. It will develop our faith and we will reach out in faith and receive because his word mixed with faith works. There's a good return. When you mix faith with the word of God, it's a good return. That's a good way to invest your time and your energies, get that word inside of you. And, and finally, here's a good way. We've gone actually from the real dark side of this to I think the, the brightest side of it during this message today. We'll talk about, I, I just want to just close out by remembering the greatest return of all, that there's going to be a return when Jesus comes back. In Acts chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, listen to this. Now, you know, this is where um, Jesus is, he's, he's been there for a number of days with people, believers, they've walked with him, they ate, ate with him, walked with him, ate with him. They spent time together. Now it's time for him to leave the earth. Now they'd already lost him once. They, many of them thought completely he, he died on the cross. And he'd been with them. Think how, think how wonderful that would be. I mean, you hear stories of people that a loved one of theirs dies 
and, 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 and it's this horrible thing. And then miraculously, in a matter of a few minutes or something, they get the word they're living, they're alive. I mean, you go from there to there. Well, these disciples had a wonderful time hearing uh, the things that Jesus taught them, looking at the kingdom, being with him again, maybe getting a better grasp of what, a little bit about what the kingdom of God was really all about and the birth was, of the church would soon be taking place. But here's what it says in, in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus was ascending. New Living Translation says, and they're all standing around. Remember, they're up on the mountain. Get this, you know. What an experience this must have been. First of all, they saw some, they, 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 they were able to, to see and to spend time with one that they loved, that loved them, that had died and was now back with them for a number of days. Imagine. And, and, and think how awesome it would be, though it might, they hated to see him go. Think how awesome it would have been to be standing on that mountain area, that mountain area there. And I've stood what they believed to be just very the, the area there before. They stood on the mountain there, and they're surrounding Jesus. Jesus is there with them, and then he begins to ascend. He begins to go up. Now, if that didn't get your attention, you know, I've seen, I've seen programs presented in churches where they hooked you to a cable and pulled you up into the air, but this, that wasn't it. This thing was for real this time. And it says in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended, and you live in translation, as they strained to see him rising into heaven. You know, like when you, you release a balloon or, you know, you fly a kite and it gets loose and you just see it as far as you can. It's going, you just try to see it as long as you can. That's what they were doing. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, the, the, the New King James Version says, looking steadfastly. I mean, they were, they were staring. They were straining. Looking steadfastly toward heaven, two white, uh, uh, two men robed in white appeared or stood among them. They're there looking up and seeing Jesus disappear in the clouds. And then when they look down, there's, there's two, we'll say two people. It said, the Bible says two men. We know that they were angels that, that, that took on that appearance. Robed in white, standing with them. And here's the words that he said. Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return in the same way you saw him go. This same Jesus will come in like manner. Brothers and sisters, that's a good return. And it is, as we would say, nigh upon us, a lot closer than it's ever been before. This takes us back to the very beginning, why it's so serious that when we know him, we give our hearts to him, that through his grace and through his word and through the encouragement of others that we stay strong, we stay faithful to him. And if we begin to drift away in any way and we realize that, that we're quick to turn back and return back into that closeness with him. Because all of us had those times where we felt closer or really we're convicted that we had a closer relationship and then we just kind of drift away. That's probably happened just about every one of us. But when we recognize that, we need to do something about it. Return. Return. And, and when you return, you can even go not to where you were, but even to a greater and higher and deeper place. 
seriousness. And I, I think if there's anyone here, anyone that you know of, that maybe they personally knew the Lord or maybe just knew about Him, but they've turned back to their old lifestyle and they've given up. Maybe friends have enticed them and they've been tempted or they've, they've just allowed stuff to come in. Maybe things were not working out the way they wanted to, so they just kind of backed away back to where they were before then. If that's you, that's dangerous. And that's a bad return. And it's time to turn around and come back. Sometimes it's not going back into sin. It's just people backing off in their, in their commitment to him and in their, their willingness to, to their desire to be with him. So sometimes you get to that place. There may be people here today who say, you know, I love the Lord. I know I'm saved. But I've backed away. I've returned back to kind of routine in my life. And I, I need to return. That may be where you are. Or you may know some people in that place. And you can take some of these things we talked about this morning Pray, pray for those folks. Encourage them. If you have the opportunity, just talk to them. Share with them and encourage them. Don't leave or forsake the Lord. There's no one like him. And Jesus is returning soon, so it's time to be ready for his return and to be found in faith in Jesus' name. Will you receive that? Amen. Amen. As Matt comes up to the keyboard here, I think he's coming up to the keyboard. Let's stand and pray together. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for the wonderful worship and word. All the things that you do when we get together on these Sunday mornings. We're just grateful for your goodness. Lord, I know that you want us to experience a good return. To return to your original purpose and design for our lives. To live victoriously. To be overcomers to walk out the kingdom living in our lives, to be victorious. Lord, God, I pray that that we will always, always be ready to quickly come to you and say, Lord, I I want that work in my life. I want you to do that in my life today. This is where I'm going, Lord. This is where I I want you to take me. I pray for those here today that maybe in some ways you you had a fervent and a close commitment to the Lord and you knew it. There was was just a different... Uh, closeness there and you was enjoying it but stuff has happened things have come along and you just kind of for whatever reason things just kind of got between you and the Lord in a sense now he still loves you never stop loving you and his grace is still there that reaches 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 to you but you kind of backed away and in the name of Jesus if that's you this morning and you just say Lord I want to return to the place return to the place of closeness with you Return to the place where I was hearing you in my life every day. Return to the place where I was excited about my salvation and excited about sharing it with others. I want to return to the place where prayer was an important part of my life. And then there could even be some here today that you once knew or followed the Lord and you just completely went the other direction. He hasn't forsaken you. You can turn around and today just say, Lord, I messed up. I sinned. Forgive me. I come to you right now. And I guarantee you, if you come, if you come to him that way, I guarantee he'll receive you. He will receive you and your life can be touched and changed. And you can have that good return now, experience it in your life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just quickly before we go, and we're we're not going to sing a song this morning, but just quickly. 
this morning before we go. If there's anyone that fits in any of those categories that would just like to come down for us to pray together, I just want to pray over the whole group. If you want an individual prayer, I will. But if you just sense some things going on or maybe you know someone's dealing with that and you just want to pray over them, intercede for them, then here's the time. The next couple of minutes, any of you want to just step down to this area in front. Uh, you can pray right where you are. I've always said that. But if you want to come and make that new and fresh commitment to the Lord, don't, don't back off. Don't turn a deaf ear to Him. Listen to the Holy Spirit and just do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We trust you, Holy Spirit. Move in our hearts, move in our lives, Lord. We want the very best that you have for us. We want the very best that you have for us today, Lord. We want to come to the place, Lord, where we experience that closeness today, Lord. 